All right, if you would, please open to Second Peter. Easiest way to get there is if you find Hebrews, go right. If you get to Revelation at the back, go left. Second Peter chapter 1. What I believe the Lord would do uh, with us in this passage is just to highlight, uh, highlight the, as we looked last week, God has, a, has an expectation for us to grow and progress in life. And the essence of discipleship, if we are disciples of Christ, that really means we are learners. We're followers and we're learners. We want to we know Jesus more and want to know him better. Remember what the disciples did. They followed him, so they heard his voice. They learned his truth. They learned the truth that was the truth, not just his truth. Now, we have a, a culture that loves to have my truth, my truth. That's hogwash. That's ridiculous. There is no internal truth that everybody has to bow down to. Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to the Father. But we, we want to model that and witness it very graciously. But we don't buy the lie that the culture has, has gone into, that we all have this authority and truth inside of us that we need to tap into and then be out there. Because if I tap into that authority, then I can be whoever I want to be and nobody can tell me anything wrong. That, or if I'm, uh, tell me anything against me and think I'm wrong, because if you do, you hate me. We, we, the, our culture has lost the ability to have a conversation. It's really miserable. And the cancel culture and the, uh, the, the, the outrage culture that we're in, we've got to be outraged by something. Can you believe this? I mean, that's all we hear all the time. Can you believe this? Well, if we know the Lord, if we know people and the doctrine of sin, we know, yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that because we see it in the truth of God's word. But we, we are to grow in our knowledge of and experience with Jesus. So, we're, so we become more like him in our thoughts, in our actions, in our heart posture. And this, this is something that happens. Growth happens progressively through the Christian life. Remember that you know, when we are justified, when we trust Jesus for salvation, uh, the Bible says that we are justified. God, in his cosmic courtroom, brings a gavel down, and he says, not guilty, because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So in that acquittal moment, that's what the word justify means. It's an acquittal. We, we don't have to pay for the sins that Jesus took, we are now into an adopted relationship with God himself. It's justified adoption. And then we begin the Christian life where we, we learn of Jesus. And we become more and more like him as we learn of him, as we look to his grace. But when, when this happens in our lives, there's also there's a weightiness to obedience that we should feel. We should feel this weight, like it matters to obey. It, it also, there's an urgency to my obedience. Uh, God expects me to do this now, not wait, not do it on our own timetable. There's an, there's an expectation and an urgency to that expectation. And when God gives his rules, remember that he's giving parameters. He's giving a fence line for people to stay in his presence. And that fence line is... Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't uh, take the Lord's name in vain. Don't covet. Th those are ways to keep us in, not to get us in. 
We confuse the process if we think we have to do those things in order to get into God's presence. No, we're in his presence by his grace, and he gives us parameters to keep us there so we experience the fullness of his presence and his glory. And this morning we're going to look at what the Apostle Peter says. This is right before uh, he dies, and, and church tradition says that he was actually crucified upside down. Because he didn't, he, by his own request, because he didn't think himself worthy enough to be crucified like Jesus was, his, his dear friend and Savior. So there, what Peter is, at the end of his life, and he's getting ready to be martyred, and he's saying, Here, this, this is what you need to remember. Remember this. You have a faith in Christ, but that faith must grow. And he gives us some understanding of how that happens. So Second Peter chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, I'm going to begin verses 1 and 2, help us with the context, but we'll look more deeply into 3, from verse 3 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, please give us power to understand your word. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have a very popular set of verses that we quote and we should. But let's look at something very uniquely. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So which is it, y'all? Is it not works or is it works? And here's where the confusion of church history has come in. Where do the works line up cart and horse? Where does the faith and works line up cart and horse? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Which comes first, the faith or the chicken comes first? We know that because God created the chicken first. And then the egg came. 
And just like that's settled because we know the created order, God gave faith first. But works are a part of that. The obedience is part of that. See, are we, we are saved from good works, but we are also saved for good works. We are, prepositions are very crucial. We are saved not a result of our own works. We don't have to work our way into God's grace and into salvation. But once we experience his salvation by faith, we, we work for his glory to shine as lights in a lost and dying world. And James, this is why the Apostle James brings this uh, conclusion to people who are, who are doing this faith and works thing. Well, no, 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 I have faith. Uh, somebody says, I have faith. Somebody else says, I have works. Here's what James says in chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. You can't. You can't show a faith apart from works. Here's what James says. And I will show you my faith by my works. Faith comes first. Our trust in God is there. But there's there's a weightiness and an, uh, an expectation and an urgency to our obedience. We need to obey, but we need to have the order uh, and order the steps correctly. We are saved by faith alone, but listen, saving faith never remains alone. It's visible by something. There are some huge principles in this passage that help us avoid the pitfall of putting the works of obedience before saving faith. But this also lets us know that we can work hard in faith. We can work hard by his power and we should work hard in faith. Our lives should be that we are striving to grow in our faith. And that looks like obedience. That looks like the virtue and adding to the faith that we have in order to to make sure that our life becomes, and you read these qualities and what are they? They're Jesus. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. That's what Jesus did. So we want to grow in these. We want to have these as our way of life. But, but Peter is not, I don't think Peter is listing these things as, a, as a, a box to check. I think he's introducing us to a way of life as a Christian in his last moments. And that's why uh, this is, uh, the caption, the title for this is the way of life in faith. Our life of faith provides a way to increasingly experience the fruit of the promises of God. See that. Our life, as we increase, we're increasing an experience. We're doing it through knowledge of what we know, what we look at Jesus, but we're increasing our experience of his very great and precious promises. In verses 3 and 4, we see that we have divine power. I don't know why I put divining power. That's a, (laughs) I just recognize that. Divine power for divine nature. Here's what happens. Let's just look at this. Let these sink in. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think a lot of times in our struggle with uh, our struggle in our walk with God is God, I'm not sure you've given me all things because I have a list. I have a list of how I need some things to make life a little better. See, we're going after comfort and control. God says, no, I've given you all things. Not all things that you want, but all things that you need. For what? For life and godliness. That is huge. 
He doesn't give us the things for comfort and control. He gives us his power to then accomplish his work. And I love Pastor uh, Tim Keller, pastor and, and retired pastor now in New York City. But he says in his book, Reason for God, he said, when God invites us, God is self-sustained as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not lonely. He didn't make Adam and Eve because he was lonely and he needed some friends. He is completely perfect in his unity. But in that, there is a beautiful, and Keller calls this a dance, the dance of God, where there is a beautiful uh, um, uh, choreographed submission and exaltation within the Godhead. The, the Father is pleased to exalt the Son by the work of the Spirit. And the Son is, is pleased to exalt the Father based on His sacrifice on the Father's behalf to bring us in. And the Spirit loves to make mention of all the glory of the Father and the Son. And remember, the Son says, oh, but it's the Spirit that makes all this together and binds it together. There is this beautiful dance of God loving, experiencing the love. Now, he loves himself, but he doesn't love himself like we think about that. His love is perfect, so it's without sin. We, we're selfish in our sins, so we love selfishly. God doesn't love selfishly. He always loves sacrificially. Always. And he welcomes us into that. So when he says, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's saying, I've welcomed you into my dance. So you can experience my love. And we can be settled there. Then the apostle says this, through knowledge of him who called us according to his glory and his excellence. We have all things through knowledge. What is the knowledge? God gives that knowledge in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have all that Jesus is and all that he has. And we get to look upon him as his people, as his sons and his daughters. That's the knowledge that we have. So it's, it's, a, it's an intellectual knowledge, but it's also an experiential knowledge. We experience this knowledge. And the knowledge is given to do what? Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Let's think about this. When God said, let there be light, and all the cosmos obeyed, that's some power, right? That's a cool divine nature. And he says this to everyone who has repented of their sins and trusted him for salvation. You have that power in you. Not to do what you want with it, but to experience God with it. The, the, the same power that looked at a man who was lowered through a ceiling, a, a paralyzed man lowered to the ceiling, the same power that said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat. Go your way. Sickness and disease bow down to Jesus. Sin bows down to Jesus. Spiritual realities and realms bow down to Jesus. 
We have that power in us. Now, in my idiot brain, I'm like, why can't I just live it out? But I keep on struggling with myself. I keep on bumping into my own brokenness. I keep on bumping into, why do I have to complicate things constantly? But you know what's also in us? The patience of the Lord. We know that. He's patient with us. And he's given all of it. So he says, I have given all of that. And that's why last week we looked at when, when we surrender ourselves to the Lord, we are maturing. So all that we're going after, remember, like, look, think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. If you're looking for faithfulness or gentleness or kindness, it's not like we, go, we have to go out and find that somewhere. It's in us because of the presence of the Spirit. We have to, one, deny our own fleshly desire to let God's life come up in patience and kindness and self-control and faithfulness and gentleness. It's in us. We have to surrender so it's matured out of us. But this is a knowledge that is power to partake. I mean, like, like you take something, you, you eat or drink, you, you experience it. We understand and experience the promises of God through the light of Jesus in our spiritual senses. He's given us the miracle of new life, the miracle of regeneration, and we are to live out of that miracle. The spiritual struggle to know and see Jesus is due to the flesh that still remains. And when we live in fleshly lives... And when we give in to our flesh, we're blocking our eyes from seeing Jesus. And that's what, it's nearsighted, so nearsighted that you're blind. But in verses 5 to 7, we see this life ladder that is set up, where, where there's steps to go, faith, virtue, forgot the order. <laughs> faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. So what is this? This, I, I think, reminds us of Jacob's experience when God uh, revealed himself in, in Genesis, recorded in Genesis 28. See, our, our goal in the Christian life is to experience and know the glory of God. The ground that we stand on is the work that Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. The way of life is this ladder that I think is with eternity, and that's what Jacob's experience helps us with. The top of the ladder, remember when Jacob, he saw this dream, and there was a ladder, a huge staircase really is what it was. And what was ascending and descending on it? Angels were ascending and descending. This was huge for Jacob to recognize. God revealed to Jacob, you have access to heaven. That's what you have access to. That's a huge... That was. Like really the first person that got to hear that and saw it in this, vi- this vision. But everything that God does with his people after that is to maintain this access through the sacrificial system. It was maintaining this access with heaven itself. See, the top of the ladder is the glory of God in heaven. The base of the ladder is on the rock foundation of Jesus. And the way up and down, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. But it's not a one-way ladder. We, you know, typically when we use a ladder, we get up to it because what we want is at the top. We want to see something, we want to grab something, so we use a ladder to get to the top, and then we're done with the ladder when we come down. That's not, this is access that's back and forth, it's continual. 
It's foreshadowed with Jesus. The promise to Jacob was, was land and offspring and inheritance. But it was also a promise of an experience with God. The glory of God was available on the earth and the promise of God was the extension of that glory. God told Jacob that his glory would be experienced on the earth. And when the veil was torn in the temple after Jesus died, that is the, the, the New Testament symbol of his spirit, his presence being known throughout everybody. The increasing that we see is describing this ascending, but it's also a descending because you can't, you can't parse these out. You can't pick them out. They all relate together, right? And they relate to what's on the inside of us. Virtue is something on the inside and knowledge is on the steadfastness. These, but as our faith increases, our maturity as disciples of Jesus makes us fruitful and effective, which is the opposite of being idle and stagnant. These words are descriptive of the mission of our discipleship. Our lives should be known by virtue. Our lives should be known uh, by the knowledge and and self-control, steadfastness, godliness that Jesus is. And so I think we see a quality life. These are general qualities that every believer should seek to mature in. We have them. We have to grow in them. The list of characteristics that Paul provides... Or at, uh, I'm sorry, Peter provides, or at first things uh, we should not expect to see on a tree of fruitfulness. Like in Galatians, you see the fruit of the Spirit. But they're on the inside. They're at the root of who we are. And these traits create a cycle of growth that produces more and more fruit. So when we get to the love, we haven't ended everything. When we get to the love, where do we go? We go right back to faith. And then we go to virtue and to knowledge. It's a cycle that we continue. That's the ascending, the up and down of this ladder of life. But let's consider each uh, of these in the progression that Peter lists them. Because one definitely leads to the next in the progression. The first is faith. Add, there's faith that we start with. And there's a cultivation of faith. And God will bring us to points to, to stretch our faith. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, that's in the furnace of affliction. God just, he turns the fire up and things get uncomfortable and weird. But when in those moments we go to God the most and the hardest and we're most awake to him because he wants us to trust him. And when we get comfortable in our trust level with God, God comes along and says, hold on a second. I want a vibrant faith. I want it to be alive. Peter, in 1 Peter, says, look, your faith is more precious than gold. That gold that's refined all those times in a fire to make it so pure. God wants our faith pure. So when he, when he brings and allows affliction in order to refine our faith, it's not because he's being cruel to us, even though we sometimes might be convinced of that. He's not being cruel He's caring for us so we experience his glory all the more. Faith is not a starting point that we move off of or from. But faith is the power connecting us to the eternal flow of divine power. And he says, add to it virtue. This word carries the concept, uh, concept of doing the right things regardless of the outcome. It's, it's a word connected with honor. 
Faith leads us to experience the greatness and mercy of God in, way, in a way that results in our desire to honor God in every category of our lives. And as we go over the next several weeks, we're just going to take that word virtue and say, what are some virtues that we want to just see developed in our own lives, but mainly in our church? What do we want those virtues to look like? When we see the treasure that Christ is, we gladly put down the negotiations that we have with sin that we think will bring a greater, more immediate reward. We want the reward of God above all else. And he says, with virtue, add knowledge. You know, sometimes we think knowledge should come before virtue. We need to know and then do. But in Peter's mind, the increase in the knowledge is a result of living for God. We want to live for him. We obey. And as we obey, we learn more about him because I think in the power of the Spirit, we're learning Jesus in that moment. We're learning that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. And he, he, he was made to, he learned suffering through, he learned obedience through suffering. And so we do the same thing. Knowledge should be added to zeal. We need to get about it, but, but not just leave it there. Have some knowledge that sustains then self-control. You know, there's two aspects of self-control. The first and most common is avoidance. We need to avoid things. But this, I think, carries the discipline yourself for the purpose of knowing God and living for him. And steadfastness, boy, we all need this. It coincides with the concept of a long obedience. We just are steadfast, continuing on. It has to do with endurance, lasting in the Christian life. And then he says, add to that godliness. Really the aspects, and and this is a word that kind of gets lost on us because we don't really know what it means, but I would give it in these things because we see it in Jesus himself, the God-man. Submission. We grow in submission. We grow through suffering. And we serve. We serve. And we look like God. As lights, we, we want to understand his love for us. And then we, we allow others see that God-likeness in us. And we trust the Lord is drawing them. Then to godliness, he said, add brotherly affection. When we add to our faith the characteristics of Jesus, we will undoubtedly grow warm toward the body of Christ. When we're acting and thinking like Jesus, we'll love the people that he's connected us with. We will be affectionate to the church like Jesus is affectionate. And he said, now to that, add love. Now, wouldn't this be the first one? Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? First one, love. Why is this last? Well, because I think it's part of the cycle that we experience. The love that arrives at this point in the list is, is... It's the word for God's unconditional love for us, agape. You know, uh, in my study, research of this, the church came up with the agape word to try to figure out how it wasn't really used before. Um, You had the phileo, which is the brotherly love. You have the eros, which is the romantic love. But the church began to use, they, they said, that doesn't quite capture God's love for us. So they... I don't know if they invented it or found it deep hidden away. Agape, God's unconditional love. A love that is not grounded in the lovability of the object. Boy, we think, God, you don't love me because I'm just not lovable. 
I have not done enough things for you. I have not been this person for you. I should be better. No, God's love is grounded not in the lovability of the object, but in the self-sacrifice of the one giving the love. That's God. That describes God. This love is a self-giving love. And this love leads to effective Christianity. Oh, do, don't we want to be effective in our Christianity and increase the increasing measure? The Christian life is about watering. And so look, I'll give you this understanding. We, when, we, when we pick up the word to read it, Many times we will approach it in a way that we're looking for a vending. I got my coins and I'm at a vending machine and I'm putting this in the vending machine and oh, oh, the bag of chips got stuck. I need to kind of get God. Come on, God. Don't you hear me? I put my money in. Let's go. This little thing's stuck. I need an answer. Let's do it now. But that misses the concept of what God's calling us to in our relationship. He's saying, come to me. And it's more like watering. Because you water plants. You never see it grow. Even you know, in the, the classroom examples when they have a seed in there, it, always, it blooms at night. That's when it sprouts. Nobody's sitting there and oh, got it. Because God, he's master over the growth. But when we come to him, we are watering. We're pouring the water of the spirit upon our souls. We're embracing that. It's welling up within us. And we are experiencing his watering. And then we'll find we just look at life differently. Or maybe we are doing things differently. And it's simply by the grace of God that he does that. But it's increasing in measure. We want to water. We want to wait on God who causes the growth. But it's a fruitful knowledge. Now look, this is not a promise to be fruitful in works. God's not promising fruitfulness in our works. That comes. But that's not what God's looking after. He's looking for us to be fruitful in what we know about him to think the right thoughts about him. We will be fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus, and when we're watering the right root, we will see the fruit. Our fruitfulness is about our experience with Jesus, not our obedience to him. Our fruitfulness is about our satisfaction in Jesus. I said this earlier, Psalm 38, uh, 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And when we grow in this, when we are effective and looking at Jesus, we maintain a clear spiritual sight. People that Peter is writing to, have they, they're neglected. They, they're more living by sight rather than faith. And when you live by that sight, it clouds the vision to where we don't see Jesus anymore. And the very things that he saved us from are the things we go back to. Remember, remembering, forgetting that you were redeemed from your former sins, forgetting that you were forgiven. That's weird, huh? When we live by sight, not by faith, we will forget our forgiveness and just walk about life in our own sufficiency and our own reliability. But we want to keep our sight with Jesus clear. And that's all that's motivated. How do we keep that sight clear? Remember how forgiven we are. That's what we do. If we're struggling with love for God, we need to remember how much we have been forgiven by God. That will motivate, that will stir up the, the well of appreciation and love. In Luke 7, the story of, uh, of, of the, the prostitute who comes into Jesus and she is uh, she's weeping and she's... she's uh, washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And the Pharisee says, if you knew who was touching you, 
You do something about this. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I mean, I've been in here, I don't know how long. You didn't give me anything to wash my feet. You haven't really served me. But then he concludes this. Therefore, I tell, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He who is forgiven little loves little. Look, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, that love could be a faith, so she loved Jesus. He forgave her sins, but it's also her love is a demonstration that she has been forgiven, and she understands that. We want to be motivated by all that Jesus has done for us because we want to persevere till the end. We want to practice to ensure our entry into heaven. Now, he says, if you do these things, you will not fall. I don't think that means in obedience. I think that's a reference to your salvation will be preserved and you will be in heaven because that's the last line, isn't it? For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this falling is not make sure you do everything perfectly. See, God is into our holiness, not our perfection. We are into our perfection. God looks at our holiness. Where does our holiness come from? It comes from our standing before him as sons and daughters who are forgiven by his grace. He wants our holiness. He wants the way of life in faith and to be increasing. And and listen, the promise is that we will increase in our experience of him and his love and his grace. So let's have a kingdom, the entrance into the eternal kingdom, I think that means for us, let's have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mindset with everything that we're about doing, everything we're looking toward. Be reminded of Jesus when when everybody was fretting about, oh, where are my clothes going to come from? Where's my food going to come from? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As we love Jesus, he will still be there for us. And he will give us all the little details that we think are so important right now that he's ignoring. He says, no, I'll give that. So whether that's detail uh, salvation of a child, <laughs> whether that's detail of uh, a, a financial crisis that you're asking God to come in, whether it's Whatever, whatever the spectrum. Jesus is saying, seek me. And you'll, provide, you'll find that all of those things the Father will provide for your good. He gives good gifts. He's a good Father who gives good gifts. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would, in our desire to mature in you, Uh, we would experience your pleasure in your presence in increasing measure. We want to live, God. We want to live by faith. We want to live not by sight. We want to live by faith. And we want to live with that experience of ascending and descending. We want to touch your glory, God. And we want to see it show up in mighty ways in our lives. Conform us, Jesus, to yourself. Change us. We want you. We want you. Just want more of you. 
may we experience your power in everything. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here's the commission. Jesus said, seek first. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing Matthew 6. I changed it on you. Got to keep things fresh. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Amen. 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 God bless us.